This is the International Education Marketing Podcast, a roundup of news stories and how they might impact marketing and recruiting for the international education sector. Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Chatham, and this is episode 83 of the Higher Ed Marketing Podcast. Our contributors today are Margaret Reagan, Ngi Wu Yun, and Holly Meyer. Thanks so much for being with us. So this is uh, episode 83 overall, but the beginning of our fifth season of this podcast series. So I'm really excited to have you three with us to start off. Margaret, why don't you share with us what you found in the news this week, and uh, we'll talk about it on the other side after we've heard from each of our three panelists. Okay, yeah. Thanks for having us. Um, The article that I found was from Inside Higher Ed, and it is called fear and anger spread on campuses as protesters rhetoric and actions escalate. Um, So the article discusses recent incidents of heightened tensions on college campuses related to the Israel and Hamas conflict and their impact on students and campus safety. Um, The article touches on one incident in particular that involved pro-Palestinian students banging on locked library doors while shouting free Palestine at Cooper Union in New York City where Jewish students were actually inside the library. While the incident didn't lead to any arrests or direct threats, some Jewish students uh, in the library felt threatened and scared. And so the article highlights that such incidents are part of a broader trend of rising tensions on college campuses in the wake of this conflict. Um, It's led to concerns among students about their safety and the impact on their ability to learn. Um, I think this article is interesting because it emphasizes the need for universities to work to maintain a balance between allowing free speech and ensuring the safety and well-being of all students. Um, And I also think it's important that universities can facilitate constructive dialogue and discussions among students to navigate this conflict peacefully and in line with their educational missions. Um, Yeah, and that's a brief overview. Thanks, Margaret. That's uh, interesting and incredibly timely. Looking forward to digging into it. Jiwoo, how about your news item? Thanks again for having us, Dan. The article that I'll introduce today is also from Inside Higher Ed. It's called Growing Enrollment in Shrinking Future. So this is about the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center's, excuse me, latest enrollment reports, which contains both good and bad news for higher education. So on the positive side, undergraduate enrollment increased overall by 2.1% especially for Black, Latino, and Asian students. Uh, Community college enrollments rose by 4.4%, with 40% of the growth coming from dual-enrolled high school students, and graduate enrollment increased by 0.7% thanks to a 5.6% rise in graduate certificate programs. HBCUs uh, experienced a 6% increase as well. But however, the bad news is that the freshman enrollment Uh, declined by 3.6%, primarily at four-year institutions, especially for white students. And freshman enrollment at highly selective institutions are also dropping significantly. And so this trend may indicate challenges ahead for higher education. And it's uncertain whether this year's overall undergraduate enrollment increase is a sign of recovery or a temporary blip as seen by the decrease in freshman enrollment. And so the report, it suggests that demographic shifts, um, pandemic-induced learning losses, and changes in student attitudes towards four-year 
degrees may be contributing to these enrollment fluctuations. And community colleges overall are seeing a rebound uh, driven by short-term degree programs and um, an increase in credential offerings, while four-year institutions face competition from a strong job market. And this article didn't uh, specifically address international education um, or international student enrollment. But from what I've seen in other articles and what I've personally observed, it also seems that a lot of international students, because of like global inflation rates and increased cost of living, are also reconsidering their choice to potentially study abroad, especially countries with the higher cost of living, like the United States. Thank you. Yeah, this is going to be an important important topic to dig into. Holly, how about you? Thank you, Daniel. So the article that I chose um, was actually taken from directly from the Ministry of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenships in, um, in Canada, their website. And it was a follow-up on an inv investigation into fraudulent practices targeting international education um, students in Canada. And um, it it uh, the investigation started in June, and this uh, current release was actually just three days ago on October October twenty-seventh. And uh, they stated that due to the findings of the fraudulent practices, um, there are several policy changes that are going to be implemented within the next year. Um, starting in December 1st, one of the initial changes are going to be that the designated learning institutes are required to confirm that uh, every applicant's letter of acceptance directly with the ministry and um, several other things like a uh, new standards, higher standards of services for students and they're in um, recognized institution framework that will be implemented within the next year. There's also going to be an assessment on the post-graduation work permit program, which is definitely an incentive for students to go study in Canada. So um, for implications of international education, um, while this is an extra step in the application process, the overall purpose of these policies is to protect students who have be, who may be victims of international education fraudulent practices. Um, so the overall idea is a positive change. Great. Thanks, Holly. Let's, uh, let's dig into this. Um, obviously, we have three very different articles. Who's primarily impacted? Um, yeah, I can start with that. I would say for my article about um, college campuses and how they uh, react to the conflict, um, I would say mostly the students are impacted um, and the university, but more specifically the campus environment and student experiences. So student experiences of Jewish and Palestinian students on campus are directly impacted during incidents of protest, demonstration, or conflict. It can disrupt the academic and social experiences, and they may face challenges related to identity, personal safety, and their ability to engage in constructive dialogue. Let's let's hear about these other other articles. So, who was impacted most in uh, in your other articles, Ali and Jiwoo? Um, For my article, I would say in particular, uh, the hardest hit like group may be higher education, um, like recruitment offices, uh, partially because 
to make up for the loss of freshman enrollment, these groups will have to work harder in the incoming years to figure out how they can sell their institution's mission or sell to potential students why their institution should be considered. And I mean, there are a lot of trends that are affecting enrollment patterns, which don't may not have to do with the institutions themselves. Like, for example, the uh, trend of like global inflation and rising cost of living is an especially big factor as to why a lot of students, not just domestic, but international, are reconsidering uh, traditional four-year higher education institutions. So I'm guessing that these admissions offices need to employ various strategies to recruit more students. Um, and also maybe institutions need to change what they're offering as well to attract more students. So for example, more uh, virtual programs like Admis. Um, as an IEM student who's asynchronous, I don't have to worry about having to relocate and um, figure out rent or even like where to live. So maybe offerings like those could be increased or enhanced at these institutions, for your institutions in particular, to make themselves more attractive to potential incoming students. Thanks. Yeah, Holly, how about yours? Who's who's the primary um, segment that's impacted? I think there are several stakeholders um, who are impacted in the changes in policies for international student applications in Canada. During a press conference by, uh, with Mark Miller, the current Minister of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship, he mentioned um, that the purpose of this was protecting students and weeding out those who would take advantage of them. And I feel like that was really um, the purpose of this, but it does also create more hurdles for um, genuine prospective um, students who would like to study in Canada. And it's already a rather long and extensive process in the application process. So this is another bit that they have to overcome in order to um, study abroad in Canada. It is also um, for those designated learning institutions that are um, designated to host international uh, students, it is also another hurdle for them to overcome where they have to be um, very, uh, they have to be very connected with the ministry and um, make sure that they ensure that every one of their applicants and acceptance letters are addressed and um, sent to the ministry as well. So, um, and there are other pieces there where uh, the higher standards, um, they haven't actually mapped out what that looks like just yet, um, but that is an interesting and will definitely make a difference in the application process as well in the coming year. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm, I'm wondering, as I reflect on these articles, if there's a broader takeaway here, the issues that each school or each system faces are things that could be perceived in the marketplace as detrimental to one school or to all schools in that in that environment. And so from a marketing standpoint, I think Jiwoo's comment that it could be, become harder to recruit students, it could be harder to enroll and to meet your enrollment targets. I think that might be true of each of these scenarios, depending on how they progress and how they get resolved. But from a marketing standpoint, what can we do about it? Absolutely. I feel like um, from a marketing standpoint, I mean, if you, uh, this article actually states that $22 billion 
uh, international education accounts for $22 billion in the overall um, can, uh, can, uh, Canadian GPD. So you can consider how that might um, have a bit of a blow if the process is harder for students to enroll and to apply for international education study abroad in Canada. And But I feel like at the same time, it also ensures that those who are genuinely not, you know, are in doing the process and not are genuine in the process and not fraudulent, it allows them to um, weed out those and take away maybe competition that is fraudulent. And then so that could also help with enrollment numbers as well and marketing as well. So I would say from a marketing standpoint, it would be important to emphasize and promote cultural sensitivity and inclusivity on campuses. It becomes a focal point during conflicts such as this. And I think universities, it's important for them to address the concerns and needs of various student groups and work to create uh, a more inclusive environment where all students can see that they are being respected and supported. Um, and that can look like uh, promoting uh, organizing programs, workshops, and even like promoting resources that promote intercultural understanding and tolerance. Um, I agree with Margaret because like my article stated, I think my article is mostly specifically talking about trends and enrollment for domestic students. So while I did say that these trends and other global factors could potentially influence international student enrollment, um, I think universities could take this as an opportunity to recruit elsewhere outside of the country, especially maybe in uh, potential source countries that institutions haven't focused on recruiting as much before. Uh, For example, I know that there's an increased interest in countries in West Africa uh, for recruiting international students into higher education institutions in the U.S. So I think institutions, while of course we should still, or institutions uh, should still focus on how to up the enrollment for domestic students, this could also be seen as an opportunity for them to focus some of their efforts in other potential markets for students, which would contribute to increasing diversity on campus, which I think a lot of institutions uh, should focus on, especially in light of the recent Supreme Court case ruling. And also, I know the Biden-Harris administration has released a statement stating that in light of this ruling, institutions should still focus or consider ways to embrace diversity on campus. That's a pretty optimistic step forward. And I, I like that as a place to come to a close with this episode. The the overarching thing that I'm hearing here is that what the schools do next is really important. If they embrace this situation and use it as an opportunity to make meaningful change, or they embrace the situation and they use it as an opportunity to increase diversity, that perhaps, optimistically thinking, there can be a better tomorrow after this painful today. And I think if we work in the international education sector, we have to have to be a little bit optimistic about tomorrow. And that's just part of the DNA of being in this sector. Doesn't matter which country we're focused on or what level we're in in an organization. I think that's part and parcel to the work. 
Optimistic and adaptable. Well said. <laughs> thanks. Well, I'd like to say thanks to today's contributors. Thanks very much for being on the panel today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. If you'd like to earn a master's degree in international education management, learn more at go.miss.edu slash IEM.